Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to the party, pal. You're my boy, boo. Yo, ancient, A podcast with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh, yeah. TV. Nice. Movies. Oh, I love the movies. Comedy and more. From deep inside the Man Cave, your host, Elias. Kurt, welcome to the cave. Hey, hey thanks, brother. How are you, man? What's new with you? Uh, you know, just juggling uh, quarantine and uh, being one of the first actors back to filming a TV show. So it's, it's very interesting. How did the whole quarantine uh, treat you? Well, I'm technically still in it. So I've got a few more days, but it's been actually, it's a little, uh, it's not too bad. I mean, you know, you, you kind of pace like a wild animal in a cage, but uh, this production, uh, which is Another Life, has been doing a phenomenal job. You know, uh, Canadian law states that you have to be in quarantine mandatory for two weeks. So the production really wants to adhere to that and make sure the rules are being followed, but at the same time taking care of the actors uh, for what they can do. So it's, it's, it's you know, we're all, we're all figuring it out at the same time. So, yeah. So when I was doing some research on you, man, you've done, you've been a busy person, man. You're a former BMXer. You've competed in the X Games. You've done numerous TV show appearances. You got new projects coming now. Man, is there anything else you're going to add to that bucket list of yours? <laughs> uh, well, when I had the, uh, before, even mid-stage, I was getting my master's in hydrogeology. Um, so I, I was in there doing that. Uh, I write. I have a script on the blacklist. Right now, I'm developing a couple of shows. I, I don't know. I just think it all feeds, you know, the same beast. Everyone's like, you want to be an actor, a writer, producer? And I say, yes. To me, it's just, you know, six nine-sided dice. And it's just another side to it. that makes it more interesting. That's awesome. So for the listeners, let's get to know a little bit more about you. Where are you originally from? Uh, originally San Francisco. And you're still in the L.A. area, I assume? Yep. How was it growing up in uh, San Fran? Uh, it was good. I mean, back then, in the late 80s, 90s, uh, it was rough. You know, it's when, you know, people were getting killed for wearing BKs because they were blood killers. And when, you know, the Serenios were coming up and messing with the Nordenios. Like, I, so I grew up in a rougher neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I tell you, it was a lot of struggle, got a lot of fights. Uh, you know, like uh, being white in those neighborhoods during those periods of time was not a privilege. Uh, I was cool with everybody. So, you know, I fought Samoans, Tongans, El Salvadorians, Colombians, uh, Filipinos, etc. So I like literally wow. the white kid who knows the differences between all those people instead of the Latins. You know what I mean? Like you're literally like, no, that's Colombian, you moron. That's not a right? And so just kind of grew up in that environment. But I'll tell you, not only was it extremely difficult and I had to kind of get over the idea of like hood mentality where like everyone's out to get you, throw a, throw a fist first to being out and being like, wow, I can use that struggle to my advantage because I overcame all of that and got out and did new things. It's like this weird thing I get to add in naturally to my characters. The characters I play are 
serious people generally who will look you in the eye and say, I'm going to mess you up. Well, <laughs> I, I, I kind of understand that. <laughs> you know, it's that, it's that mentality where you can walk through a certain neighborhoods and if you look like a victim, you will be a victim. And if you let people know that you're not a victim, you're not, you're not mugging them, you're not, you know, threatening them right away by looking at them, but you give them just enough look that they know this one's going to fight back. So let's just let him go. <laughs> and it's this real quiet dog, yeah. you know, doggy conversation. So during that time, is that where you like fell in love riding bikes? Yeah, I, I, it was part of my escape. You know, the only thing I found was getting on a bicycle and trying to ride and do something else that was not bad, you know, not selling, trying not to sell drugs, trying not to thieve, trying not to do X, Y, and Z. And this was the one escape that was pure, that wasn't a bad thing. And I just fell into it. I mean, I played football and I didn't like the jock mentality. I just was like, Ugh, locker rooms, like dudes, you know, and I was good. I played weak side linebacker and I loved popping people, but I rode BMX too. And it came to a head where I was playing and um, riding bikes and there was a BMX like race a big race that was supposed to be happening. And the coach was like, you can't do both. You show up with injuries and you, you need to be on the team. And There's no I in team. And I was like, okay, well, there's no I in this team. I'm out. <laughs> wow. And I was like, I'm going to go ride bikes. And, you know, people were like, why are you riding bicycles? It's so stupid. And then the X games all happened. They're like, oh, you're cool. And I'm like, whatever. So during this time, did you have like any idea or like any thoughts like, eventually you were going to get into the entertainment industry? None. Wow. Zero. I, I, I thought I was just, you know, a hood rat that didn't have any value. So it's not going to be me. I don't have family in the business. I don't come from money. I don't know anybody in the business. You know, it's just like, nah, that's for those people. You know, I'm not good enough. Like, so I never even considered the arts as a viable means of, not only just income, but a career. Wow. And you competed in the X Games. How old were you when you did that? Uh, all over. I mean, I basically did the X Games stuff when I lost my leg and came back and went and did some, like, showcases for them and everything else. I don't know. I probably rode uh, getting paid from sponsors since the age of, like, 15-ish. Wow. You know, like little things here and grow in there. And then a couple tours like Nickelodeon paid for a tour and we did this rocket power show, but we did the live version of rocket power around the country. Uh, my buddy Cam was off doing um, uh warp tour. And you know, so it's kind of like all these like other tours and things going on that you just traveled around and made money. It was the weirdest thing. We never thought riding stupid kids bikes was going to make us money. So how but, did you, so like how did the whole journey start like to get into the acting world while you were like riding bikes and you know uh... it's a little crossover just like hey we need a guy to do a stunt on our tv show you know and i think the first thing i ever did was like pacific blue way oh, wow. back in, in the usa day. yeah i remember that show yeah up. yeah so it was like hey you know we need a guy to come out and do some stunts on a bike and i'm like okay and they're like okay what we need you to do is you're going to hop on this bike like you're stealing it 
and then you're gonna ride down these stairs and then turn right. And I was like, you want me to like flip off them or do a 360 or something They're like, no, 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 just ride down them and then turn right. Which is like, I don't know what, what I did at like eight years old. So I was like, all right. So I rode down these stairs and turned right. And they're like, great, let's do it one more time for safety. Rode down the stairs, turned right. Wow, you knew exactly where to go. And I'm like, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> like, this is really not that hard. And then when I got the check for the stunt, I was like, five grand for riding down stairs? I need to do more of this shit. <laughs> Did you think you were going to keep doing stunts at first? Yeah, I thought it was just stunts, you know, I'd, I didn't have the emotional capacity to open up in front of the camera. So I, I didn't even understand that that was, that, that wasn't, that wasn't even on the horizon. You know, it was like, now I'm a bicyclist. That's what I do. I could do some stunts on the side, but it was also not, you know, it was more like to make some money quick and easy to supplement sponsors or whatever else I was doing versus a, Oh, I want to go do that. Like, I don't know. It just felt very, like, uh, like I almost cared about it and I couldn't care about it because things were taken from you. So you had to like, kind of go like, yeah, I don't care about anything. It's a good way to see it. So you mentioned you had an accident. Was this after the accident that you started doing all this or before? Uh, all that stuff was before. Okay. Then I had an accident, um, on a motorcycle. I hit a, guardrail and a pole and fell off a 40 foot cliff doing about 80 and i uh tore my pelvis in half which is like the front and the back side of it like so it's one side went like six inches before. um so that's like an open book fracture i tore my bladder in half broke seven vertebrae collapsed my lungs broke all my right ribs i had a pretty nasty concussion tore my acl and mcl on my right leg and ripped my left leg off below the knee so it's gone um, and after recovering, I spent three months, three and a half months in the hospital, 27 surgeries while I was there. And, uh, that's one every three days ballpark. Um, and then spent another year and a half recovering and another BMXer friend of mine was like, what are you going to do with your life? And I'm like, I don't know, man, I go back, finish school, finish what I was doing with my master's but I didn't know if I could do it, you know, and it, it took the, the wind out of my sails. And uh, he was just like, look, I, I've been reading some stuff up on all the stunt stuff you were doing and they definitely need stunt guys with one legs. And I'm like, I don't know, man. And so he just started like submitting me for TV roles oh, wow. <laughs> without me knowing. And um, Kai, thank you, Kai, my buddy Kai, he did it. Um, took some photos of me and put me up and then, a couple weeks later, he got a call and gave me the information. There's this movie that wanted uh, an amputee, and they asked if I could speak Farsi. And I said, yes, of course I can. <laughs> and obviously had no idea what I was talking about. So learned phonetically Farsi enough to say these five lines. I recorded myself saying these five lines, and it was enough to make them say yes. And this movie called Charlie Wilson's War um, with Tom Hanks and Amy Adams. And I literally didn't even know who Mike Nichols was. 
he's just some guy who's a director. Okay. And then I'm like, oh yeah, Tom Hanks. There's the guy that's in the movie big. Sure. Who gives a shit? And just sort of was on set with these people. And Amy Adams is sitting there talking politics. And I'm like, oh, this is weird. I've never heard someone in the workplace talk politics, but okay. Like, just like, just listening, like being there and me and Tom were talking about like dogs and he just kind of was looking at me like, you just seem really normal. And I'm like, well, I'm not like, if you're a good person, Tom, then I'll talk to you. Like, you know what I mean? Like it didn't yeah, really yeah. dawn on me who I was speaking to and Mike Nichols. And I did the scenes a couple times and Mike came off and to the side and, like, and I'm like, uh, three hours <laughs> and he's like holy shit like and we went to lunch and talked and he's like listen you should like i've told a few people this uh in their career but you, you should really think about pursuing this wow did you so did you start taking acting classes i've i've read a lot of books first doing research on uh, acting writing directing just kind of seeing what all the different you know avenues were into the world and what would have to be done and then i was like well let me go yeah take a couple uh uh acting classes and, and i started looking around and went in and i'll tell you it was really hard it was really hard for someone who's super pragmatic to walk into a room filled with a bunch of people who were like i don't even know how to, to say the word but like you know, going like with their lips and waving their arms and be like, we're just loosening up. We're just loosening up. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I, it made no sense to me. Yeah. Like, it was so foreign that I, I was like, I'm not comfortable with this. But that, because of the near-death experience that I just had, it made me really go, wait a minute. If you're not comfortable with this, it's not a problem with them. It's a problem with you. You know, and like, it made me go like, okay, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I saying no to something without ever even trying it? Without, you know, asking questions. Like it was my first reaction. I was like, no, this isn't for me. And I went, stop, stop right there. You, it's like the same thing where like, if you have a plate of food and someone's like, I don't like that. You're like, have you tasted it? No. And I'm like, well, then you don't know what you're talking about. So in the moment I knew there's something broken. There was something that I didn't want to involve myself in emotionally. It's probably because of where I grew up and how I grew up and the rest of it. But like, yeah, I just sort of was like, no, this is something you're going to have to to deal with and work on. This is your, this is your new journey. And so that's kind of what it's become uh, a, a rebirth of emotional honesty. And dude, it's something still, I mean, most guys work on, you know, sometimes, but like most guys have these issues and I'll tell you, like, I'm not even there yet. I still got plenty to learn. Like I said, you, like I said, you've done numerous TV show appearances, like the rookie sons of anarchy NCIS LA, just, a, just to name a few, like what's been like one of your favorites that sticks out the most that to this day you still think about? Uh, probably the TV show quarry. I don't know if you ever saw that series. It was a, smaller series that didn't get a lot of press on uh, Cinemax. And if it was on HBO or any other network, man, it had been a hit show. It was unbelievably visceral and powerful. Um, my character was a, a, 
a contract killer who had been doing it for so long. Um, but like pretty, pretty crazy, um, that, um, I don't know. He's like an old cat who would play with his, his, uh, uh, his prey instead of, um, just killing him right away. So it's almost like that really interesting, uh, I don't know. Do you see the show at all? It's no, okay if you have. No, no, I didn't see it. We got one season and every single person who saw it was like super bummed that um, they didn't do a second season. Oh, yeah, Cinemax, I mean, Cinemax is weird with, with certain shows. It's like hit or miss with a lot of the shows on there. Yeah, now it's gone, right? Cinemax is over. I think it's like doesn't doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, they got rid of it. Yeah, yeah. So that was really, and I liked it because the character had weight. You know, I mean, I did one scene that was like ten pages long. That was uh, we shot it as a single, and it's this big fight scene where me and Jody, who's the other character in the scene, we literally fight for like five seven minutes like it's just this brutal fight scene and totally choreographed and i mean i told her you know go ahead and just obviously whack away like i i can take it and she did she kicked me one time in the face so hard with the heel of these these the shoe i swear like half my face came off um but that character was like the, the coolest there's a lot of characters i like like the the NCIS LA uh, five, six episodes of that show was really fun. And I went really dark and they loved it. Um, So you like playing these dark characters? You know, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I don't because uh, one, I, I love comedy. I write comedy. I did this film called the festival in England, which was a pretty good film. Uh, was in theaters for a bunch and you know got a lot of recognition pop people were like you're fucking funny man i didn't know you did comedy and i'm like i'm an actor that's what what i do now <laughs> um but i'll tell you the dark characters are much easier for me to play but all it does is sort of remind me of what i was you know like it's just it's just hard you take pieces of your character with you yeah i can see that you know and like yeah so you also had a role on um, LA's Finest. Uh, tell us about that and your character. It hasn't even aired yet, man. It's know, like going to come out. Uh, what? So, okay. How much can we say about it? Like where I won't get in trouble. You got to lead me down the right path here. All right. uh, well, I won't release it right away. So don't worry about it. When I'll release it when uh, your episode gets uh, aired. No, you can, you can, you can release it early. I just want to be able to like not give away too much. Like, it's a really cool, fun show that's, you know, about cops and it's got three of uh, the leads that are people of color. So it's really cool. It's been ahead of its time in that regard. Uh, and they kind of talk about really cool issues, but in a fun way, like Bad Boys was that movie. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's just a, it's a fun romp. It's not supposed to be a cop show, you know, but it still has elements of that in there. Um, and my character comes in and just creates havoc and um you know i've been doing some nefarious things for a few people in in the world and uh 
I think that the uh, the police with me underestimate what my capabilities are. <laughs> I, I assume this so, was filmed before uh, Corona hit and everything. Yeah, literally just finished like a couple, like eight weeks before Corona finished up. And then I got this job on another life and was literally flying out the next day. And then Corona hit and they're like, Hey, let's hold off for a little bit. So how many, uh, so now speaking of another life, I had Katie on my show about a year and a half ago. She was great. Mm -hmm. How, uh, how long you've been there now filming this? Oh, I'm, I'm still in quarantine. Like I haven't even gotten out yet. Like we were supposed to come out a couple months ago and then we got new scripts. And then, so we started doing some work on that and then we we're supposed to come out again and didn't. And then finally came out and now we're in quarantine while we're waiting to get out so we can start filming. So I'll probably be on the show for or filming for like three months, maybe four, wow. depending on the schedule. Yeah. So is your character going to be on multiple episodes? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't, oh, was this more of a, was this a self tape or a live edition for this character? Uh, self tape. What do yeah. you, so I know we can't talk that much about the show, but uh, I'm sure you're going to have a blast doing it. Let's keep going with a couple more things about your acting career. Like, what do you sure. enjoy more, uh, self-tape or live auditioning? Self-tape. I hate auditions. Really? I Why hate walking that? into a, oh man, you walk into a room, people are like, in LA at least, everyone's like, hi, go ahead, add action. And you're like, really guy? Like, you know, like it just, I don't know, it feels disingenuous. Like, I think part of what I do well is what most actors, you know, have to learn is like, they always say, Hey, acting is listening. You know what I mean? Like you really have to listen to what someone's saying to you because it's your reaction. And when they say something to you, your reaction has to be authentic in your line. And if you've got someone who's like, Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Okay, let's go. And action, Tommy, where were you last night? And you're like, Oh gosh. Like, that's my reaction. Like, yeah. I'm listening, and I think this is shit. So what do you want me to do? That's truth. So either I'm going to be truthful and say that your performance is horrible and you rushed it and you didn't give me time to sit into the room and even kind of look around and build truth, or I fake it and try to give you what I think you want. You know what I mean? That's a very yeah. – either way, you feel like you're – you're doing it incorrectly. And at home, when you're doing self-tape stuff, you know, I have a good reader, Alex Barone, that we write together. He's an actor, really, really talented dude. And we just like hammer it in. Like, oh, what'd you think of that take? Nah, it was shit. Let's do something better. Oh, hey, and then I can tell him, hey, can you give that line to me in another way that makes me behave? He's like, yeah, let me try that. Now all of a sudden you kind of build the character in the scene and then you do that. And then you're like, now I'm presenting something that I wanted to present versus when you go in and you audition in a room that I'm forced to present based off of parameters that have nothing to do with not only my control, but what I had in mind for what I wanted to show you a character could be. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and it's a business, so you get used to it. And yeah. you know, I'm not saying anything bad about casting directors because they're not doing it rudely. Like they want us to do a very good job. But, you know, when you got to see 25 people per day and you get seven minutes per person in there, you know that your day is 10 hours long minimum. So you got to you got to move, you know, and it's stressful for the casting director. So I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying it's just it's just a system that sucks. Uh, and the whole thing with like live auditioning, too, is like sometimes, you know, like say you have 20 people going for that role and they're watching people and like the third one in like, oh, this is the guy we want. But we still have to sit here and listen to the rest of them just in case. Well, yeah, there's definitely that. And you're sitting around in a room full of people that look just like you. Yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, oh gosh. And most <laughs> of the guys who I think look like me are douchebags. So I'm like, oh, gosh, I look like a douchebag. <laughs> and I'm thinking about that the whole time. I'm like, am I that guy? Am I that guy? Is that what people think of me? Fuck. Yeah. You know, and cool. so. Yeah. Have, you, have, you, have you been called that at a live edition? <laughs> No, 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 never been called it. But, you know, it's like sometimes they bring me in as like the bro or the this guy or the tough, whatever. And I see dudes and they're going like trying to act tough. And I'm just like, oh, fuck. Like, come on. Like, so one of the first auditions I had that was uh, in person um, very early on was for like uh, a tiny independent film, which I booked. And they were bringing in three people at a time to say the same basic line. And it was the weird. So you're literally standing next to the person performing your role. And then it's your turn. Yeah. And that was just so you could get it done. And they were like, okay, we don't really have any lines for you. We just want to see what you can do. Like, tough, tough guy. And the first guy like throws up his fist and he goes, what man? What? And it was like, and I just kind of looked over at him like, what the fuck was that? And then the next guy's like, I'll kill you. I'll, I'll rip your face off. Bleah. And I just like this really aggressive, like stupid, not tough thing. You're like the yappy guy in the bar. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, Kurt. And I go, well, this is fucking stupid. These guys are a bunch of fucking uh, douchebags. And this, you're, you're a piece of shit for making me do this. And she just looked at me. It was like, excuse me and then i was like um, no 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 i'm i'm acting that's a tough guy would not give about what anyone thinks and she's like oh, oh and i booked it <laughs> and it was like that was like the difference like i was like i'm not like i think being tough is like not giving a shit what anyone thinks or actual toughness in a physical way is like you don't mind getting punched in the face yeah, yeah. so you're gonna do whatever you're gonna do and it's like that thing, like I'm tough or I could beat you up or I can snap your arm. That's not tough. Tough is like, I don't mind you punching me in the face as long as I get a couple in on you. Mm. And so it's like the inverse, you know, like, and I think that taught me about acting. So like when you play drunk, like your character's drunk, most people will be drunk like oh hey i'm wobbly Blah. no when you're actually drunk you're trying to behave sober right you're trying to just fucking hold it together you know what i mean and so uh, like you actually are playing the inverse so you're someone who is drunk who's trying not to act <clears throat> drunk oh that's drunk 
So it's a lot of the inverse characters. Men don't weep, right? Men try not to weep right. when they're weeping. You're right, you're right. So like stuff like that. Like so throughout the years, like is there somebody like that you look up to in the acting world that you try to like watch their work to get better? Uh, no. <laughs> just trying to be yourself yeah yeah i mean like i i i listen to podcasts i listen to people like i'm listening to uh victory the podcast which That's is awesome, gallons yeah. Yeah. right yeah. like that i don't know if you listen to it man that thing's great so you guys should totally like i don't know cross podcasts i don't know do something i don't know but like their their podcast is like industry related and how it was like on the set and even like hearing the camaraderie of those guys makes you go like, oh, I want that. And then so I have to give that when I'm on set. And there's something about like hearing the creator of a show saying that even though he was battling with one of his actors, at the end of the day, it was the right choice. And that gives me confidence to battle someone on set and be like, no, this is the right choice without being a jerk. Right. But like that kind of thing. So I think, I think there's no, there's no actor that I go like, wow, you're the best. I'm going to copy you, you know? Um, but there's actors that blow me away. Um, I just finished that series kingdom, which I hadn't seen before. I don't know if you saw it at all. I haven't seen it, but it's the one with like with the MMA, right? And the, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how that show didn't win Emmys. I mean, I know how it didn't. It wasn't on a popular network and didn't get a lot of juice. It is so good. I mean, it made me cry nine times through the multiple seasons. Like, I'm like, oh, that's what it's like. That's how it feels. And it was, um, what's his name? So I even had to write Jonathan Tucker, um, who is an actor, his performance in that was so good, I couldn't understand why he didn't win an Emmy. I, I just, I don't understand how he wasn't nominated. Maybe he was, I don't know, but I don't think he was, but it, like, like, it's so good. You should have him on your show to talk about it because I didn't even know the show existed until it went on Netflix. It's so good. And his performance is so ridiculous that like, I just get inspired by someone I randomly see. So I'm not going to follow his career right. or go look at what else he did. But I reached out to him, you know, on Twitter and was like, dude, your, your performance was epic. And he wrote me back a really kind thank you. And I was like, all right, that's the way it should be. Like right, college, right. you know, like just talking to somebody and be like, look, it was legit. I mean, you should reach out to him and, and tell him I'd said so and have him on your show. Like just tweet him. I, he he responded to me right away. That's awesome. He seems like a really cool dude. Um, so I don't think there's there's anybody like I'm watching like a Tom Hanks or a you know big star. Like I I I take pieces of what The Rock is doing for his business model. Then I listen to like like I said Doug Allen's podcast, and then I'll see a show that like Jonathan is killing it in, and I'm really impressed by it. Um, listen to a writer's podcast like John August and read all of his blogs about writing. So just a little couple of pieces here and there. Um, 
I mean, awesome. Peter O'Toole is my favorite actor. So that's from yesteryear, you know, and I yeah. see how these guys did. And then I read and uh, read books on him and, and, and not because I care what he thinks, because I want to know where he got his information from. And then when he tells me who his heroes were, I go find out where they got their information from. And then I go, oh, they were reading Herodotus and Thirdidides and reading about the Peloponnesian Wars and they understand Shakespeare. So that's something I need to go figure out. Which was better acting than most of the stuff today. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're that, absolutely right about that. Yeah. So like you mentioned earlier, you know, you played dark characters, but you really want to get your hands get your hands on like in a comedy and stuff like that. Do, do you have like a dream role that you're kind of hoping you could play someday? Let's see, dream role. Uh, I mean, I, I, I like dark characters, but I, I wouldn't mind having something that was dark comedy like Barry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, you get to play a serious character, but what's happening around you not to break. You know what I mean? You're trying not to laugh hysterically. Um, but it's almost like on the edge of macabre and surreal. So I would love to play a character that was more, you know, darkness, where it's kind of funny and interesting. Mm. Uh, Barry is interesting and kind of funny. Um, it's all, it's, it feels like it's a, it's the kind of a character is more emotionally driven instead of ha ha funny, mm. you know? So I don't know where the comedy comes from something greater than just line, setup line, joke, punchline, mm. and repeat, 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 repeat. That's not me. It's more like, situational comedy where the comedy is being driven by the character's motives uh that's that's way more interesting because i think that to me maybe it's because of my natural darkness and bad things that have happened to me in my life but some of the funniest moments are only memorable because they were horrible like, hey, you remember the time that those guys chased us down with pipes and then we fought and then they sent me to the hospital but I sent two of them to the hospital and then we were laughing because they dropped their wallet and we knew where they lived? Yeah, that was a fun evening. Like, it's like, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you remember those things. Like, if you think about it from, like, people you've dated, you don't remember that she made the right kind of breakfast. You don't remember that she put the right place. You remember all of her weird quirks. That's the stuff that's interesting. That's the stuff you remember. That's the stuff we should value. It's the weird little things that actually make us different. You know, like that's that's regular life that people miss out on. Like when you get close to danger and problems and, you know, like if you took a road trip and it, everything went perfect, you kind of don't remember it. Right. But if everything went fucking south, you it's the like whole day. <laughs> yeah you remember the whole thing and you're like all right so the tire blew apart we got to the place then we got robbed and then we couldn't figure out so we were tenting in you know the parking lot of the u-haul place that's when someone came up and was like guys what are you doing and you're like you told him the story 
somehow this random guy had a bunch of weed for us to smoke. So we got obliterated, went back to that guy's house, but he was a millionaire. And so we were at this house party and you're like, that, that's the stuff you remember. We're just, just chaos. So I, I think there's value in that, you know, like a character that has horrible things happen to him, but still has hope and is still figuring things out. And it's very funny at the same time. Yeah. So, so like, where do you see yourself 10, 20 years from now? You want to be, you want to keep acting. You want to be behind the cameras, writing or a little bit of everything. Uh, I would say 10 years from now, I would expect to be, uh, involved at different levels of acting on it. Um, but kind of where Katie is right now, where she's got her show, she's an EP on the show. She's kind of massaging its direction, you know, Mm -hmm. and like trying to make things work. Um, I think that I do, I'll do a lot of stuff with, uh, natives. And what I really want to do, man, is, you know, because I'm an amputee and I work with a bunch of people with disabilities in the film and television world, I want to be like the guy that everyone comes to for advice on how to bring in more disabled characters to their show and where it's not even helping me personally. It's just like, Hey, Kurt, what do you think about this character? Like I want people to send me scripts that aren't right for me, that won't help me. And like, Kurt, read this. Tell me which character could be disabled. Like, da, 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 da. And like, I'll read through it and be like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity because if this person's a wheelchair user, it enhances the character in this way. And I know my friend here and literally just start like connecting people because, you know, a writer, 99.9% of writers aren't disabled. So they're never going to write in full formed disabled characters. Right. So people with disabilities never get the, uh, the, the ability to not only act in a show, but let alone audition. So the representation for disabled actors is literally the worst quote unquote group that there is in Hollywood. You know, you got like right now, let's say like, um, Right. Like they'll say like black leads, you know, are underrepresented by 3% or something. Right. It's like, wow, that's horrible. Well, disabled actors, all the characters on television, only 3% of characters in television have a disability. And in America, 20% of everyone has a disability. So there's already a 17% disparaging ratio between what is in America versus what's on TV. Now, here's the kicker. Of the 3% of characters on TV with a disability, 95% of those characters are played by able-bodied people. Hmm. So it's not even a fraction of a percent. It's, it's minuscule, the amount of disabled actors that are actually working. Uh, and I, I want to see more. I want to see more cross-sectionality of, of people with disabilities so that Honestly, uh, so people with disabilities get a bunch of work and can work whenever they want and they get to read for able-bodied roles so that able-bodied actors can go back to playing disabled characters again without being squashed. So it's back to acting. But you have to have equal access in order to have equal playing fields for who plays what. You know what I mean? Like 
if it's not equal, then you're like, well, where's the problem? Like, I don't want only a black written character to only be played by a black dude or a black gal. Yeah. I want to see it like, oh, I wrote it this way, but it could be, a, you know, a Filipino from the hood. Like, I wrote it black, but why not a Filipino kids? Because Filipino kids are all, you know, running through the hoods just as much. Well, yeah. How, how do I know that? Because that's who I ran with, right? right. <laughs> so it's like, it's like that kind of thing. Once you get to some kind of equal opportunity and people are actually working, then you can go back to the non-PC world where everyone's allowed to do everything. Because now it's about acting as opposed to what it is right now. It's a lack of access, you know? Yeah. And it's a good way to see, you know, the way you said it, it's like, it makes sense. Like, you know, like it, it should be like a playing field, uh, evil, um, equal playing field. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like, Hey, everyone gets to get a bat and gets to go up and swing the ball right. or swing the bat and hit the ball. Well, imagine if you are disabled and they go, Hey, we're only going to let you go up to bat when it's the disabled person's time to go up to bat. Well, when is that? Almost never. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do with that? You're like, well, that's not how, how am I going to get any practice in? You're not. So then when I go up against other baseball players who have been playing their whole lives and you won't even let me go up to bat to practice, I'm going to be even worse than my quote unquote colleagues because I haven't even had a chance to practice. It's pretty brutal, man. And like, I, I mean, I know some talented people, really talented people. And this isn't just like hyperbole or I'm advocating for my group. You know what I mean? Like none of that bull. People who are like musicians and com comics and write and they write brilliantly and they do stand up and it's funny and blah blah and they just don't get any opportunities because everyone's like well we don't want to see a person in a wheelchair in our commercial because then we'll have to explain why they're in a wheelchair no you don't <laughs> i know but that's what they think you know they're like the only time you see someone that's disabled in a commercial is like walmart we care and you're like you know what i mean kind of a yeah. thing and it's like that bullshit inspiration porn you know like what about the mom who's just a mom who happens to be in a wheelchair can, can we just bring in wheelchair users to play the mom and see if that works? And if it doesn't, we'll hire a black woman to play the mom in a white family. Cause who gives a shit? Mm. Like, cause that happens too. It's like, well, would that family really be a family? And you're like, of course they would be. Where are we? 1950. Right. So I think they just haven't got there yet with, with disabilities and it's a shame, mm. but eh, it's a big ship. And big ships take a long time to turn. So, uh, Kurt, is there any other um, projects that you had finished filming that will be getting com coming out later this year that everything gets pushed, of course, because of the virus? Uh, yeah, I did a show um, uh, called Paradise Lost, which is pretty cool. Did an episode of that. And then LA's Finest comes out, starting to air, I think, right now, this month. Um, so that'll come out. And then I'm doing my own little web series that'll be coming out soon called Tommy and Bobby. And it's all about two guys who drink beer in their mother's basement in Boston. And they decide that they're going to make a beer review show that turns into a whole bunch of episodes of stupidity. Um, sort of like 
the the theme is even though we're wrong, we're always right. And these guys just like imagine guys from Boston who aren't woke, who realize they aren't woke and they want to be woke. So it's like their little literal process of trying to become woke, but they say the wrong, most wrong things you can imagine. But they're trying to do the right thing. So there's a little wiggle room for forgiveness. Um, we've, awesome. Me and my buddy Alex Barone wrote 130 episodes at three minutes a pop. And so we're in the editing phase and we've got a couple of people interested in buying it. But we think we just want to put it on YouTube, and put some of our own money to marketing and and build the characters yeah just kind of be like look if we get a million followers subscribers or views or whatever however it goes i don't know it it, it gives it value but the idea is to i don't know bring it to the people first instead of to the suits and having them ruin it you know how it yeah. goes. They're like, oh, yeah. you can't say that. That's not PC. And I'm like, well, that's what the regular people on the street want to hear because it's funny. You know, like, because we're trying to figure it out together. And at least you have control of what you can do with it. Yeah. And if it has value, then it can go somewhere from there. So right. hopefully, you know, people want to tune in and they like it and they see that, yeah, it's raw and rough because it's not a million dollar production, but it's fun. And, uh, you know yeah uh how uh, lastly how can the listeners uh find you on social media uh my name kurt yeager k-u-r-t-y-a-e-g-e-r everything's at that so instagram twitter facebook is like the fan page is just my name and fan page um i run all my social media so even though i might not get to it quickly i will be the person that answers it, but I do get a lot of messages. So it tends to take like sometimes five, 10 days for me to respond. Um, onto everything. And uh, there's a lot of questions about like acting and whatever else, but being an amputee, people ask me about like what it was like and, you know, then their brother or boyfriend or husband or, you know, wife becomes disabled. So they're like, Hey, how do I deal with this? So I try to answer all those questions. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, but reach out, man. Um, Kurt, this was a blast. Uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, brother. I appreciate it. I hope uh, great success to your podcast, uh, which is already quite popular. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, everybody. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Man Cave Chronicles podcast. I finally get my man cave. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the MCC Podcast. And our website, themccpodcast.com. Until next time. Until next time.